Well, hello and welcome to Citizens once again. Uh, my name is David, and I have the privilege of serving as the Family Life Pastor here. Uh, it's a joy uh, to be able to worship in this space together, and it's a privilege for me to share uh, God's Word with us today. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, our church, we've been in a series uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, for the past few weeks. So we are week three into uh, this series. And just to give you a heads up, uh, this, the theme for Citizens this year is a spirit-filled life. Uh, so we hope to grow in a deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ is uh, so that we can conform to his likeness. Uh, we want to embody who Jesus is for one another and for the city. And so for this idea of a spirit-filled life, it makes sense that we need to understand and learn about the Holy Spirit. And so the hope for us is to demystify and to bring clarity to who the Holy Spirit is, because we recognize that there can be some baggage that many of us we carry uh, with this idea or with the person of the Holy Spirit. It may be because of our personal experience. Uh, maybe we've been part of ministries that really emphasize uh, the Spirit in supernatural ways, or it might be the things that we've seen uh, in media or on the internet, uh, expressions of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to relearn and explore together in hopes that we can engage and actually experience a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, unique to the Christian faith is this doctrine of the Trinity. We believe in one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three, God, equally God, but they are distinct. Their roles are different in creation and in redemption. So for example, God the Father is the one who planned salvation. God the Son is the one who accomplishes salvation by giving his life as a ransom on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit is the one who applies or actualizes the finished work of Jesus Christ in individuals' lives. He makes it a reality. You know, this idea of the Trinity is a divine mystery. There is no earthly example, illustration that we can give that even comes close to this idea of the Trinity. And so this is an, a mystery that we need to learn how to embrace. You know, I like to think of the Spirit as the middle child of the Trinity. Uh, I myself am a middle child, a little bit awkward, and often neglected in the church. Uh, I believe that's how we've treated the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the Holy Spirit is not an it, it is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person in which we are to engage in an intimate relationship with. So last week, uh, Jason uh, preached on the activity or the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he instructs, he illuminates, and he intercedes. The Holy Spirit instructs us in the truth, helps us understand it. He illuminates who Jesus Christ is for us and who we are in him. And he gives us confidence of our identity in him. And the Holy Spirit intercedes, meaning that when we're too weak and if we're going through such a difficult time that we can't even utter words of prayer, the Spirit that resides in us actually prays on our behalf. Amazing. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. The very power that resurrected Jesus from the dead takes residence in our lives. Today, we want to focus on this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and so just think of this message as a primer to the rest of the year because our theme is a spirit-filled life. This is just the primer. We're going to continue to unpack this idea of what it really means to be spirit-filled and to live as spirit-filled individuals and as a spirit-filled community. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn, on, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll uh, read verses 15 to 21. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you don't have your Bibles or your apps, it's going to be up on the screen for you to follow, to follow along. Let's give our full attention as I read God's word for us. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But... Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Amen. You know, this idea of filling or to be filled with the Holy Spirit comes with some controversy. Uh, there are some Christian traditions that teach and believe that conversion happens in two parts. Essentially, there's two baptisms, according to some Christians. The first baptism is the baptism of water that represents faith right, and trusting in Jesus. The second baptism is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is most commonly associated with supernatural gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Namely, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Uh, we're going to spend another sermon talking about these spiritual gifts, so I cannot go too much into detail about them. But the idea is this, that the possession of these gifts and the manifestation of these gifts is evidence that one is truly filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's this two-part conversion. Now, what this does naturally, whether intended or not, is divide the community from the spiritual haves and the spiritual have-nots, the spiritually elite and the spiritually less than, which is not the point of these spiritual gifts. But that's what happens with these types of expressions or understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so where these people have gotten this paradigm from is actually the book of Acts, the book of Acts. Jesus told his disciples to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit before you, before you go out and share the gospel with the rest of the world. That was in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, there was an event called the Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit indeed came upon the apostles and the disciples. There was a mighty wind and all of them started speaking in languages that weren't native to their own. And the people that were around, who were those native speakers, understood what they were saying. This was a supernatural event. And so people were filled with awe and wonder with this gift of tongues. And so people take this and say, and build a framework around it, saying that this is how the church is supposed to operate. Uh, in my personal studies, I believe that's not the intent of Luke when he recounted this event. I believe this was a unique and a one-time special event 
to fulfill the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples and actually to fulfill the prophet Joel in the Old Testament because he spoke of this event. So this was a one-time important event for the, uh, for the apostles and the disciples to then go out and carry out the mission that, God, that Christ gave them. So for us today, there aren't two separate events. We have a singular one. When one places their faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, immediately, the Holy Spirit takes residence in our lives. The very Spirit of Jesus lives in us. And so when we think about this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we have, to we have to look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit's filling. And when we look at a, a general survey of whenever the Holy Spirit is mentioned or the filling of the Holy Spirit, what we see is that it's a passive work. God just tells us that this person or this individual is filled with the Holy Spirit. We aren't told how. We aren't told what they did. We're just told that God filled them, meaning that we cannot do anything to get the Spirit to fill us. And this is a general observation. If you look at it, even in the New Testament, we're just told that the Spirit filled them. What this means is that, that Spirit's work cannot be manufactured but rather the Spirit's work is more observable. We can observe the Spirit's work. Like the wind, right? We don't know where it comes from, but we can know when the wind is blowing by the, by the trees and the branches that are waving because of it. In the same way, we can observe what the Spirit does. So then that brings us to our pastors today. How then are we to make sense of this command that Paul gives to the Ephesian Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If this is a passive work, what are we to make of this command? And it doesn't help that this command is actually unique in that the only place this command is given is right here in Ephesians 5. Nowhere else in Paul, uh, Paul's letters, nowhere else in the Bible do we get this command. It is only here. So this makes it very difficult to understand what the, he means by be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have some work cut out for us. To what degree do we, do we need to be filled? 25%? 50%, 75%, Again, we're not told how much we need. We're not told how we can do this. So I, I just want to share some principles and some observations from this passage for us to take away and hopefully apply. The first is this. A spirit-filled life is deeply communal. It is deeply communal. You know, when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, we often think of it in personal terms, right? Putting sin to death, living righteously, personal disciplines, reading the Bible and praying, right? We, we look at these kind of spiritual disciplines to, uh, to say one is spirit-filled or I am spirit-filled, but what Paul has in mind here isn't personal sanctification. It's not about self-improvement or individual righteousness. 
but a community defined by unity. You know, when Paul was writing to the church, the landscape of the Christian community was dramatically changing. It was increasing in its diversity. No longer did tradition, social status, or ethnicity have any bearing on one's acceptance into the church. The only thing was faith in Jesus Christ. But even that faith that one possesses is a gift that the Spirit gives. Faith is the only requirement for you to join the Christian community. So you can imagine how radically diverse this community was. You know, salvation is deeply personal, right? We hear that, right? You got to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, but it was never intended to stop at you. The Spirit is about creating a new community marked by grace. And this is one of the major themes throughout the entire letter of Ephesians. I'm going to read for us Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. It's not going to go up on the screen, but let me just read this for us. For through him we both, both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Spirit is not only about your personal righteousness and your personal holiness. The Spirit is about creating and uniting us to a new community of grace. From the beginning, God's plan was not individuals. It was peoples. It was about nations. It was about families. His interest was not in a homogeneous community where everyone looks the same and shares the same interests. No, what he had in mind was every nation, every tribe, every tongue coming to worship him, to be in a relationship with him. From the very beginning, that was God's plan. You know, in the same way that the triune God is intimately one, but distinct in persons, the church is composed of people from all different walks of life, cultures, socioeconomic backgrounds, age, traditions, and even political views. But what binds us together is the spirit of Jesus that resides in us. And we have such a diverse church of all different ages, of all different backgrounds, different creeds, traditions, but what brings us together, what unites us together, is a spirit. And we think the fullness of the spirit is demonstrated in someone's abilities or their gifting. And so we see someone perform or to lead praise or give a good message. We're like, ooh, that person is spirit-filled. That person is anointed. 
No, what Paul has in mind here is if you want to know if someone is spirit-filled, look at their relationships. Look at their community. You know, I really want to encourage you to read uh, this letter from the beginning to the end. It's really short. It'll take you maybe 15 minutes. It's a masterpiece. Paul spends the first three chapters unpacking the blessings and the beauty of the gospel of grace. He talks about how we were dead in our trespasses, but now we are alive in Christ. He tells us that, the, that faith, even faith itself, is a gift. You didn't do anything for it. It's a gift. And then the last half of the letter, he's talking about how this gospel impacts relationships. It's amazing. The gospel implications of your relationships. He talks about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, and between even employer and employee. It's amazing. It's so practical. Unity within the church is one of the clearest indications of the Holy Spirit's activity. However, this unity needs constant maintenance and regular upkeeping. And that is why the church needs to continuously be filled. You know, this verb to be filled is in the present active. So it can be translated, be continuously filled by the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to our second observation or the second principle. A spirit-filled life is about othering. About othering. You know, following the command to be filled, uh, to be filled are a series of participles. Uh, pardon me, I'm going to do some nerdy grammatical work here. It's going to be necessary for us to understand. Here are the participles. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, uh, psalms, hymns, and songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, and submitting to one another. All of these verbs follow the verb to be filled. And what we have to determine is, are these participles speaking of results, or are these participles a means? Bear with me. If it is results, that means that the Spirit was the cause. Being filled with the Spirit caused these actions of addressing, of a singing, and making melody. But that puts us in an awkward position because once again, we're not told how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The scripture is unclear of how this filling actually happens. So then we're left with the option of just waiting around for that tingly feeling before we do these things. I don't think this is a participle of result. I believe this is a participle of means, meaning that addressing one another, singing, giving thanks, and submitting to one another is the means in which the Spirit is pleased to dwell in the church. This is a means, not a result. You know, I, I think it's, it's, a similar, it's similar to the idea of love. You know, the popular conception of love in our world today is you need to feel love in order to act in love. In other words, you need the effect, affections before you lovingly act. You know, I think the gospel actually inverses that. The gospel 
description of love is an action first, and then the affections follow. Act first in love to cultivate that affection. I think it's similar when it comes to the Holy Spirit. See, the act of othering cultivates a space in which the Holy Spirit is glad to dwell. Conversely, when we are self-seeking, self-consumed, and self-focused, we actually suffocate the Spirit from this space. We give no room for him to breathe. And this is what Paul calls grieving the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, we can grieve him. You know, Paul gives the example of drunkenness to contrast with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And many scholars and preachers say this is a message about control. Because if you're drunk, you're out of control. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're in control. I think it works. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul has in mind here. What Paul is contrasting is the, is the general social life and ethos of Ephesus. He's comparing that to the social life in which we are to experience within the church. You know, in Ephesus, there was a temple of Artemis, the fertility god, the goddess of love. Also in Ephesus was Bacchus, the god of wine. And there were rituals and festivals that shaped the social behavior and the life of the Ephesians. And these parties were outrageous and wild. It filled the senses. It was about pleasure. It was about indulgence. And that was a normal way of life. But if you look at all the rituals, the focus is on who? On the self. You know, a community shaped and born by the Spirit lives and acts differently than the rest of the world. In that, it is profoundly others-focused. It is about others. All the activities that Paul mentions, all the participles, are other-centric, addressing others, making melody and singing to God, giving thanks to God, submitting to one another. It's about othering. Now, at this point, I don't want you to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. It sounds like if we don't do these things, the Spirit isn't in us. No. Again, the Spirit already is here. He is already in us. The question is, are we cultivating a space and an environment for the Spirit to fill the space? Or are we suffocating Him? You know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. You know, sometimes when I come to church on Sundays, it's very difficult for me to sing. Some of these songs are amazing, but at times I don't feel like singing them. The reason being is, for some reason, Jane and I, we always fight on the weekends. Sundays, for some reason, is such a stressful time for us. So after a fight, I come to church, I sit in these chairs, and it's really hard for me to sing some of these songs. There are other weeks where parenting just beats me up. And I just feel so guilty and shameful because I failed as a father. And I come to church and I, I just can't sing these songs. There are other times where I feel insecure, unworthy of being a pastor. I feel like I'm ineffective in my ministry. 
at those moments, it's difficult for me to sing. But do you know what helps me? Hearing your guys' voice. Hearing you guys sing. I need to hear your guys' voice at times. There are several Sundays where your voices have ministered to me. You know, this is why the church is important. This is why Sunday, Sunday gatherings are so crucial and important because there are going to be some Sundays that you come and you just cannot sing. You're just beaten up by the world. You're experiencing deep sorrow and, and, and you're grieving because you lost a loved one. Maybe it is guilt and shame that keeps you silent. Maybe it's frustration uh, from a strained relationship that prevents you from singing praises to God. You have your brothers and sisters sitting next to you who can lend you their voice, who can sing for you and over you. This is what Paul is talking about, a spirit-filled community. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to plead, don't underestimate your presence here. Don't underestimate you sitting in these chairs. There may be someone here that needs to hear your voice. Who would benefit from hearing you sing? Who would benefit from your gifts and abilities? Don't underestimate it. See, when we clearly understand that it's not our responsibility to fill another's cup, because that is reserved for the Holy Spirit to do, but if we understand my responsibility is just to empty mine, my responsibility is to empty my cup for the other, I wonder what God can do in this community. I'm curious of the transformation we can experience in our marriages, in our parenting, in our community groups, in our family groups, in serving our city. I'm so curious. You know, there are some here that says, I don't have much in my cup. I don't have much in my cup to give. All I can do is show up on Sunday. Praise God for that. Because we need you. I need you to hear, I need to hear your voice. There are others here that have more to give. Your time and your gifts. Give it. Give it. Sacrifice. And you will see the Spirit work in powerful ways. See, if everyone here as citizens considered the other when coming to church, when engaging in community or family groups, participating in city events, or serving in our city partnerships, I believe amazing things can happen in this community and for this city. And this brings us to our last observation and principle. To experience a spirit-filled life, don't focus on being filled by the spirit. Let me say that again. To experience a spirit-filled life, don't focus on being filled by the spirit. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive. Let me explain. And I met my wife, Jane, when I was 25. 
Uh, she was actually trying to hook me up with one of her friends that was open to dating a pastor. Uh, so the three of us would hang out. Uh, and unfortunately, the plan backfired on Jane because I ended up becoming interested in her. And actually, Jane was the first person that I actually really, really liked. Really liked. So I wanted to get to know Jane better. But I needed more opportunities to get to know her. So I started to learn about her, her interests and hobbies. And at that time, there was this Korean drama that she was obsessed with. It was called Boys Over Flowers. I think it's on Netflix. I don't recommend it, but she was so into that. And what did I do? I started to watch it. I started to watch it, and after every episode, I would text her or, or G-chat her talking about that episode. Also at the time, Jane wanted to get into biking. So I helped find her a beach cruiser, and anytime she wanted to bike, I asked her if I could run behind her to exercise. My excuse was I wanted to exercise too. And through these activities, I got to know Jane. Now, this isn't advice, by the way, uh, for single people out there. Uh, it worked for me. doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And also, there was already a friendship that we had, because it would be very creepy if I did all these things without an established friendship. So just keep that in mind. What's the point? The activities and the interest help cultivate a stronger friendship with Jane, which then led to us dating. And then here we are now. Don't focus on the idea of being filled by the Spirit. Instead, start participating in the activities in which the Spirit is interested in. I really want, this, I really want to get this clear. I want you to get this. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't focus on the idea of trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, start participating in the activities in what the Spirit is interested in. And you will experience Him. So what are those things? We're coming to a close here. What are those things? Obviously, Sunday worship. And you may think, oh, DC, you're, so, you're such a pastor. Of course you want church, people to come out to church. But this is, the, this is precisely Paul's point. Addressing one another in psalms, singing to each other, singing to God, submitting to one another. This is a space in which the Spirit is glad to dwell. Sunday worship is important. And for those worshiping online, it's not a knock to you. Uh, hopefully you can come back. But this is a very important space. Number two, the Bible. How are you going to recite psalms to one another if you don't know the psalms? Very practical. But the, another name for the spirit is a spirit of what? The spirit of truth. He will not operate outside of the revelation we have in the Bible. So we need to open up the Bible. And I believe every time we do, we are engaging in an activity that the spirit is so interested in. Every time we open up the Bible is an opportunity for the spirit to move in our lives. Thirdly, Engaging in groups. We have so many different types of groups here at Citizens. Whether it's a community group, a family group, or different learning groups. It is in this space we can practice emptying our cups. 
Practice submitting to one another, meaning we don't put our interests first. We put the interests of others in our gathering. We think about the other when we participate, not for what I can get out of it, because my brother and sister needs me to be there as well. Groups, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to engage in groups. There's so many more, but I'm just going to share one more prayer. Prayer. When we go to God in prayer, we are joining in what the Spirit is already doing for us. We learned last week that he intercedes for us. Prayer. Every time we pray, we are engaging in an activity that the Spirit loves. Don't ask yourself, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? A better question is, am I participating in the activity, the activities that the Spirit loves? We don't have to overthink it. What's the next simple step that you can take to interact and engage with the Spirit? For some of us, that might mean for us to serve our families well this week because that's what God wants us to do, to serve our families well, to love our spouse and to love on our children. Maybe it is for one of you guys to check up on a friend that you know is struggling. Maybe it is to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. I know that's hard. It's difficult to do those things. And for some of us, maybe it's just to show up next Sunday knowing that someone might need to hear your voice. These are very difficult things. These can be difficult things. But we can take these steps. Why? Because we are loved. We don't do it for love. We do it because we are deeply loved by our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus emptied himself to fill us with joy. His love and acceptance is permanent and is eternal. And because we have the security in Jesus Christ, we can boldly take the next simple step in engaging with the Spirit's work. Citizens, may we take these steps together. I know it's not easy, but let's take one step at a time together for God's glory and for the good of this community. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your very spirit for our lives. Where it is better to have the spirit than to, than to have you beside us. Help us learn what this actually means and help us to experience this in a transforming and powerful way. God, we need your help. We need your help. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will stir in us, that you help us to take that step. And even if we don't feel like it, help us to take that step out of love for you. God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here who are struggling, uh, who may feel distant from you, who may, have not, may, may not have felt the Spirit in a while, um, move us, Lord. Help us, Lord. And as we do, and as we act and move and take those steps, 
God, may you be glorified. May you continue to shape citizens to be that city on a hill, to really embody and, and, and to be an extension of your love to one another and to this city. God, we thank you so much that you love us so much that you would give us your very spirit to live in us. Now, as we respond in praise, God, may you fill this place and may we experience you in a powerful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.